Father, this morning we sang such rich truth together about what Christ has done for us. I mean, Lord, just that truth that that the curse of sin no longer has hold on us because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, we're going to read this morning an encounter that Jesus has with a woman. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to set her free. And Lord, I just pray that as we read about that in the scriptures, as we think about it and how that applies in our life, Lord, Father, I pray that you would just allow your spirit in this room to convict and soften hearts. And that, Lord, at this time, in this place right now, there would be folks who fully place their trust in you. And they fully experience your redeeming grace this morning. Lord, I pray this would be just a a time, Lord, a restorative time where we can just be refreshed in the truth of the gospel. So, Lord, would you allow us to be able to have that right now? We ask for your help in that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was January 12th, 2010. Uh, I was a college minister at McLean Bible Church at the time. And what I was doing is I was loading some equipment up onto a truck, some sound equipment, for a worship service we were going to be doing that evening at American University on campus there. And then my phone buzzed. And it was a news alert on my phone. It said that there had been a 7.0 magnitude earthquake about 25 kilometers to the west of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And my heart sunk. Because we had a team of college students from George Mason University on the ground in Haiti about 75 kilometers west of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in a little town called Petit Guave, a town that we had visited all kinds of times. And our team on the ground experienced the full wrath of that earthquake. Luckily, they were outside. All of the structures around them collapsed, including the structures that they were staying in. So no one on our team was luckily hurt, but they experienced that ground. They, they told me it was like being a, a piece of popcorn, just being shaken around. The next two weeks were a whirlwind. It it took a long time for us to establish communication with our team, and it took some creativity to actually get them off of the island. It took us about two weeks to get them back. And we flew them in. We had to charter a plane and fly them into this small airstrip in Florida. So I flew down to Florida to go meet this team, to pick them up, to bring them home. And I'll never forget the stories that I heard about this team's experience, but... One of the most striking things that I heard from this team was the bond that they formed with the people of the slum that they were serving through this shared experience of the earthquake. See, the earthquake knocked everything out. All all the structures were down. Food and drinkable water was scarce. They all endured dozens and dozens of aftershocks. And this team, what they ended up doing is they began sleeping in the same makeshift structures as the other people of the slum that they were serving. They shared the same food. They held each other when the aftershocks came. They cried together. 
they witnessed gruesome scenes together. And so we have a team of wealthy, educated American college students serving an incredibly impoverished, uneducated people who live in a slum in the poorest nation in our hemisphere. And what this earthquake made incredibly clear was that they were all the same. They were all human. They were all afraid. And they needed each other through this experience. You know, no matter how much we divide ourselves or how much we rank ourselves, humanity, all of humanity, we share so much in common. All human beings across all time, across all cultures, enjoy sitting around the table, eating a great meal with trusted friends and belly laughing, right? Every human being enjoys that. The Bible says that every human being is made in the image of God and has an intrinsic value that's inherent to their being that nothing else in creation can claim. And just like my friends who were college students on that trip and my friends who lived in Pettiguav, Haiti, all human beings have experienced fear, all have experienced pain and sorrow, all have experienced regret, and all live in a broken world that is not as it should be. Listen, the pain that we experience in this world and the shame that we carry in this world does not discriminate. All of us have experienced pain whether it is other people's sin against us or it's just living in a broken world where things go wrong, we all have experienced and lived with pain. All of us experience shame, this nagging itch that whispers in our ear that we are worthless and not who we ought to be. Right? Every person carries with them pain and shame. Some are more aware of it than others, but everyone has it. So let me, let me share about some that I've discovered in, in my own life. You know, God created us so that when we have certain experiences in our lives that elicit a strong emotional response, some of those memories, what happens is they get stored in our long-term memory. Right, one of the reasons why you have those random memories of when you were a kid is because that incident somehow, in some way, was impactful to your brain and your development, good or bad. So one day, I, I had a counselor. I'm a big fan of counseling. So one day, I was seeing a counselor, and um, he was asking me about this. And what he had me do is recount some early memories that I had as a kid. It's a fairly, fairly common thing that counselors do. And there was one memory that I kept recalling, but I didn't want to tell my counselor about it because I felt like it wasn't important and I was kind of embarrassed to talk about it. But the truth is, is when my counselor told me we were going to do this exercise, this was the first memory that popped into my head. Because I always think about this memory. This is a memory that I replay often in my head. I was in elementary school, I don't really remember the grade, and we lived in a neighborhood where, here, here in Herndon actually, uh, in a cul-de-sac where there are all kinds of kids uh, on this street, and we played with each other every single day. But I was one of the youngest of those kids, and I was also definitely the most hyper. 
And so I was aware, I was kind of aware that I was like the annoying kid on the street. And one day we were all at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come take us to school. And what had happened is all of the kids had organized themselves and yelled in unison to me, Alan, you're so stupid. That's the end of my memory. I don't know what I did. I mean, knowing me, I probably shrugged it off and acted cool like it didn't bother me. But this little memory somehow got etched into my brain. Now, I never thought much of it. I kind of always wrote it off as, well, that was a tough encounter in elementary school, right? You just get over it. But my parents tell me that there was a point in elementary school where I changed. I wasn't the hyper wild kid anymore that I was, but I became calmer, almost emotionless. I, and I grew up in the same way. I became a very even-keeled person, not too up, not too down, afraid to express a lot of emotion, believing that if I got too excited about something, that it would be immature or annoying. And so obviously, when my counselor heard this, he's like, oh, this is a gold mine. Because one of the things we were talking about was the fact that one of my biggest fears in life that I still struggle with today is the fear of people not taking me seriously. I have this voice in my head that constantly whispers in my ear, Alan, you don't know what you're doing. You're too young, you're too immature. One day, what's gonna happen is one day everyone will organize themselves and they will let you know. But for right now, Everyone is humoring you, right? This, this played out in my marriage. Every time Kim said something that made me feel like she didn't take me seriously or she looked down on me, I would, I would shut down sometimes for days. It played out in my work as a pastor. It, it began to affect every part of my life. This moment of pain that ended up producing a lot of shame in my life, it stuck with me, it, it shaped me. Now, I share this story because the reality is, I have lived an incredibly easy and blessed life. I, I've never experienced poverty. I've never experienced abuse. I grew up with a loving, stable family of whom I'm extremely close to. My dad discipled me from a young age. I met my wife in junior high school. Right? I had great friends growing up. I never struggled financially. I never had a problem getting a job. I have three amazing kids today. But even in my easy life, I have carried pain and shame. And what I shared is just a small portion of it. And so Grace Hill, I have the greatest job in the world in getting to be one of your pastors. And many of you have sat on my couch and told me your story. I have heard stories of abuse, of parents leaving, of divorces, of betrayal, of addiction, of racism, of poverty. I could go on. And all of those things, whether they are a result of just being in a broken world uh, the result of someone else's sin against us, or the result of our own sin. All of these things produce in us pain and shame. And what the enemy will do is he will use that pain and that shame to whisper into your ear that you are worthless. You have nothing to offer. If people really knew the secrets that you were hiding, 
everyone would walk away from you. And listen, this is, this is universal. All of humanity shares this. One of the things that I'm trying to accomplish early on in this sermon is convince, that, convince you that every single person, whether they have lived an easy life like me or the complete opposite, have been battered by this sinful, broken world, and they are carrying a burden of pain and shame on their backs. And what that means is this, that every single person, whether they are aware of it or not, is looking for, is longing for redemption and freedom. Two weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Jesus and the Outsider. And after Jesus was risen from the dead, he commissioned the church and gave her this mission. Go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the outsiders, to people who don't know about me. Go proclaim this to the nations. Deliver the message. And Jesus himself modeled for us what it looks like to go after the outsider. And so this morning, I want us to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a woman who found herself in a situation where all of her pain and all of her shame was exposed. And she had no idea how the God of the universe would respond. So we're gonna read that out of John chapter eight. I'm gonna read verses two through 11. Now, let me just do a quick aside here. If, if you have the ESV Bible, which is what I'm reading out of here, you'll notice that this section in your Bible is bracketed. And the reason for that is because this particular passage is not included in some of the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of John. We have it in some later manuscripts that we've found. Um, some manuscripts actually put this in the Gospel of Luke. And so after a lot of study and figuring out what, if, if this text should be in our scriptures or not, most Bible scholars agree that this passage, it does belong in our Bible, that this is a true story about Jesus. It is the word of God. We're just less sure where exactly it belongs in our Bible. Does it belong in the Gospel of John or not? That's where we're really unsure. But the Holy Spirit did uh, solid fit to, to preserve this text in our scriptures. And so we're gonna study it together this morning. So John chapter eight, verses two through 11. Here's what it says. It says, early in the morning, uh, Jesus came to the temple again. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, so think in the middle of the whole crowd, lots of people, she's in the middle, everyone's looking at her. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. 
And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So we have this situation where the Pharisees, who were the very conservative Jewish leaders of the day, wanted to try and trap Jesus by getting him to openly disagree with the law that's written in your Old Testament. They knew Jesus was compassionate to outsiders and sinners. And so to do this, they decide to drag a woman before him that was caught in adultery. And the text tells us in verse 4 that the Pharisees said to Jesus that she was caught in the act of adultery. Now, we don't know this woman's story. We don't know the specific circumstances of what happened here. But the Pharisees drag her before the crowds and make her stand by herself with her sin being announced. I mean, just, just imagine the shame she's feeling. Imagine how worthless she feels. Imagine if you and I sat down yesterday for a meeting and you just poured your heart out to me thinking that I would keep that confidential and I just announced it this morning to the church. Like, how would you feel? That's where she's at. And the Pharisees say this in verse five. They say, now the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women, Jesus. So, so what do you say? Well, it's an interesting word choice by the Pharisees. They say that the law says that they should stone the woman. Well, they're either referring to Leviticus 20, verse 10. It says this, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Or they're referring to Deuteronomy 22, 22 that says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. So the law certainly gives capital punishment to this offense, but it is both the man and the woman. So the fact that the Pharisees brought just the woman before Jesus speaks to all kinds of issues of discrimination and male domination and abuse of women in their culture. And so the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, we know you have compassion on people like this, so are you going to betray the law of Moses? And I love it because Jesus bends over and begins writing in the sand. And the text says that they keep on asking him. Now, some people try to speculate what Jesus wrote. We're not supposed to speculate that kind of stuff. But here's what I like to think Jesus is doing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, listen, you're trying to get me to contradict the scriptures. I wrote them, and now I'm gonna interpret them for you. And Jesus looks up, and speaking to the entire crowd, lots of people, he says, whoever here is without sin, take the first shot. And he goes back to writing on the ground. Now, Jesus was also referring to the law in his statement. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. In the place of a capital punishment, the person who caught the person in whatever act they were doing that deserves capital punishment is the first to throw the stone. And the law said that if it was gonna be carried out, 
The witness had to go first, then everyone else could go. But what Jesus also did here, this is what he does, is he reaches into the heart of everyone in that crowd, the Pharisees and everyone else. And what he does is he pokes them in their own shame. If you really believe you're better than her, if you really have kept the whole law, if you aren't guilty of adultery yourself, then be the first to throw the stone at her. And one by one, they left in their shame. And it says, starting with the oldest. I guess there's just something about getting older that makes you more self-aware. And then we have this moment where it is just a woman and the God of the universe. The only person worthy of casting that stone is the only person left. So can we, can we just pause and put ourselves in the shoes of this woman right here? I mean, there's one thing to be in front of the whole crowd and your sin being announced, and now it's just you and Jesus alone. This is terrifying. This is the moment we spend our entire lives trying to avoid. I mean, this is where we are completely exposed in awaiting the judgment. This is the moment where you finally confess to your spouse what you've been hiding. How's she gonna respond? How is he gonna respond? This is the moment where your boss catches you doing something you shouldn't be doing in the workplace. This is the moment where you let people see you for who you really are. This is the moment where we are sure, we're positive that everyone will reject us, everyone will lose respect for us, and nothing will ever be the same. It's, it's that moment. In this moment, this woman is standing before the God of the universe with all of her shame exposed, and she fully expects judgment. Verses 10 to 11, it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. Look at this, no one, Lord. She knows who she's talking to. The Pharisees earlier in our text referred to Jesus as teacher. She refers to him as Lord. She knows who she's talking to. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. When this woman expected the judgment of God, she was met with the transformative grace of God. And so I want us to study this encounter with Jesus this morning because I want us to understand that everything we do as a church must be about getting people to this moment with Jesus. Every single person carries around with them pain and shame. We talked about that earlier. Every person has a story. Every person has done things they are hiding and are ashamed of, and everyone fears being exposed. I mean, we need to be a church that develops a practice, a habit of withholding any judgment on anyone, your boss, your neighbor, your coworker, uh, your friends, family, whoever it is, until we have sat down and heard their story. There's something about hearing someone's story that just builds compassion in your heart. 
Because we understand that all of humanity shares in this experience of pain and shame. And our job as we deliver the hope of the gospel is to get people to this moment where all of their pain and all of their shame is on the table, exposed, vulnerable to the judgment of God. And when their heart expects judgment and rejection, they receive grace and acceptance. I mean, notice here in the text what Jesus says to the woman in that last verse. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now, from now on, go sin no more. Did you catch the order? I mean, for too long, for too long, the church has said to the world, sin no more, and then we won't condemn you. Sin no more, and then you'll be accepted. But that's not what Jesus says. I mean, can we just, let me just pause and, and say this. We as a church, Grace Hill Church, we hold to a biblical view of marriage and sexuality, and our culture does not like that. That's what we believe what the Bible says, and we follow the scriptures. But, but here's the deal. Those who live a different lifestyle, those who are same-sex attracted, are welcome in this church. Drug addicts who have a hard time beating that, they're welcome in this church. People who are wrestling with their gender are welcome in this church. Felons, welcome in this church. Immigrants who are not yet documented, welcome in this church. So why is it that in our culture, people have this view of the church where because of all of our pain and all of our shame that we're carrying, they assume that they wouldn't be welcome in the church. There's something that says, well, I can't go to the church because, man, I, I'm just too dirty I've got too much pain and shame. I've got way too much baggage for the church. That would be embarrassing to walk into that church. But Jesus, the head of the church, modeled for us a kind of grace and compassion that should make the church the first place that these people would feel welcome at. Man, I've got all this baggage and this junk and I don't know what to do it. I know at the church they'll accept me. And Jesus, he actually doesn't model this grace. What Jesus does is he takes all that pain and shame and he himself, he bundles it up into a big bag and he hoists it on his back and he nails it straight to the cross. So you better believe that it is the sinner and it's the broken ones who are welcome here because it is here where they will find their savior who will take their pain and shame to the cross. We all have pain and shame. We all have sinned, and we all long for redemption. And those of us who have found our redemption in Jesus have something for those outsiders who need it. And so if we want to be a church that is all about getting people to this moment with Jesus where they are fully exposed and yet unexpectedly, shockingly loved and accepted, then we have to understand something. We all have to understand this. We have to get on board with this, that my story is her story. All of us individually, my story, your story, if you are in Christ, your story is this woman's story. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you've had this moment with Jesus where you took all of your pain and all of your shame and all of your sin and you put it on the table and you trusted that it was all redeemed through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for everything that you're guilty of. And when he rose again from the dead, he gave you new life that is redeemed, that is free, that is accepted. My story, my personal story is this woman's story. I live so much of my life trying to impress everyone around me, believing that my joy was actually found in reaching that goal. Listen, my religious commitment to Jesus and my role as a minister was just a way that I tried to reach that goal. It was about impressing people. But it wasn't until God graciously helped me to see that, that all of my joy is found in the love and the acceptance of my Father in heaven. That my sins are not counted against me because Jesus took them to the cross. That I don't need to prove myself to God that, that I'm worthy, but I simply need to rest in his words where he says in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's when I began to find the courage to, to share about the pain and shame inside of me. And my wife and, and my other brothers and sisters in Christ could minister to me that redeeming grace. And now I can be free from this lie that I'm worthless. And I can live my life boldly in the grace of God. And do I still struggle with this? Yes, but God's mercies are new every morning. And when you've had that moment with Jesus, where you've opened up all of your pain and all of your shame through the redeeming power of Christ, here's the deal. That is when you become a minister of that same redeeming power of Christ to others. See, it is the religious crowd in our text this morning who require you to sin no more and then you will be accepted. It's them that have never dealt with their own shame. Their religion is actually their way of hiding it. And that's why they all left with their heads hanging low from this woman. See, the only way that we can be faithful to the mission of going after the outsider and offering them the redemption that their souls have been longing for for their entire lives is if we ourselves have tasted that redemption. And so here's what I want us to do this morning, just in a response. I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the bands to, uh, to come back up so they can take their places. But I just have something I want everyone here to just think about and consider. Whether you have considered yourself a Christian for a long time or if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian right now. I'm just curious is your faith just an intellectual acceptance of Jesus? You know, of the cross and the resurrection. Is, it, is your faith just this kind of like, yeah, I, I, I can recite that story and I'm on board with it. And yet all the while you're still living your life trying to hide and escape from all of your pain and shame. 
Listen, I was a pastor and I was doing that in my life. Because that's not a life of freedom. That, that's, not a li- that's, that's a life of bondage. And the enemy wants to point to all of your pain and shame and tell you that to be fully known is to be fully rejected. But the gospel of Jesus Christ points to the cross and says to be fully known is to be fully loved and accepted. And I believe that there are people here today who have always said with their mouth that they believe in Jesus, but they've never trusted Jesus with their pain and shame. You're just keeping it so tightly concealed. In fact, just like me, maybe your faith in Jesus has been about hiding your pain and shame. That's just the best way to conceal it instead of being freed from it. Maybe you've never allowed yourself to have that moment with Jesus where you can truly feel the warmth of forgiveness and of grace, of, of taking the burden off of your back. And when you expect rejection, being shocked by a father and a church that embraces you. Grace Hill, if we cannot trust each other with our pain and shame, and if we cannot trust our Savior with our pain and our shame, we'll never be able to reach the outsiders. Because it's not real. So maybe this is a moment where some of us just need to open our hearts and place that burden of pain and shame at the foot of the cross. And so what I just want us to do right now is I want us to take some time and reflect on this individually. Have I allowed my pain and shame to be exposed to the redeeming grace of God? Am I hiding? Am I faking my joy but rotting inside? Am I believing the lie that to be fully exposed actually means to be fully rejected? And so, What I want us to do is take some time as the band, they sing the next song, and you can just take this moment to let them sing it over you and just reflect in the quiet of your heart, just at your seat. You can stand and sing if you would like. But I want all of us just to answer this question. Have I I trusted my Savior with the pain and shame of my life? Take a minute and reflect on that question.
before you right now, and, and, and Lord, here's my prayer. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning that's in that place of, man, I, I long for that kind of redemption. I long for that kind of freedom. I long to live my life not hiding anymore, but dealing with my pain and my shame and, and understanding that Jesus took that and he, and he took it to the cross and he went into the tomb and he was risen from the grave and he gives me new life that is redeemed and that is accepted. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room and they're in that moment where they need to have that moment with Jesus like the woman did in John 8. Lord, I just pray that Father, you would allow that to occur right now. 
Lord, we just pray as we continue to sing, as we take communion together right now, Father, that, Lord, you would just be worshiped and you would be glorified. And Lord, your spirit would just help all of us to feel the comfort and the security of our redemption in Jesus. And Lord, may we take that comfort and that redemption and minister it to the town around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that Jesus gave us to celebrate what he did for us on the cross is communion. And this is a meal where we come together and we take some bread and we break it. And we're reminded of how the body of Jesus was broken for us so that we didn't have to endure the wrath of God. And how his blood was spilled on the cross. And so we take juice and we drink it and we're reminded of his blood and how it has cleansed us from all of our sin. It has redeemed us and given us new life. And so this morning, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you um, to come forward and just take the bread, take the cup. We're going to have some people who are going to be there holding the bread and holding the cup and speaking the gospel over you. And we just take the bread and take the juice. Go back to your seat and sing loudly, celebrating what Christ has done for us. But I just want to say, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe if you've always called yourself a follower of Jesus, but in this moment, you're just like, man, I have not tasted that kind of redemption. I, I just want to ask you, spend this time just praying to the Lord, asking him to make this a reality in your heart. And if you're one of those where you just feel like, man, I, I need to get some stuff off of my chest. I need to talk through this. I've got some stuff. I've got some pain and shame that I just need to get out. We, we wanna be there for you in that. So please feel free, come find me, one of our pastors. We'd love to talk to you, pray with you today or, or set up a time to get together and talk. We wanna be here and minister that to you as well. And so why not, I'm gonna invite you forward, come, take of the bread, take of the juice, and we'll end our time celebrating what Christ has done to redeem us.